Oh, the Houdacity, a Hoodoo Factory production, now made with Hoodoo Vision. In Through the Outdoor, hosted by Thad. First and foremost, to be clear, this is not a podcast about the band The Who. This is a podcast for fans of the 90s NBC sitcom News Radio. Hello to all my hoodooists, hoodoo maniacs, and other unnamed yet loyal hoodoo factory fans. I appreciate everyone checking out this effort. This is really just to hold us over until we start up our usual production. Um, and it was really tough to pick episodes because I just kept thinking about how much fun it would be if we were doing them all together. So I hope you enjoy this and would love to get your feedback. Oh, the Houdacity is not going to be about reviewing and or touching on every aspect of the episode. Nobody wants to hear me talk that much. I'm going to be using our patent-pending Hoodoo Vision to look at the episode and point out things that I find interesting slash memorable. Hopefully, you'll have a few new things to look for and think about the next time you do a rewatch. And we're also very fortunate because Lauren will be recording her segments for every episode, so you'll get to remember what real talent sounds like. This episode is definitely a little rough, uh, but I hope to continue to improve over the next episodes in the unit and beyond. Appreciate everybody sticking with me. And a reminder, in Part C, I will announce who won the episode. The gold team, made up of Bill, Jimmy, Joe, and Lisa, or the blue team, made up of Dave, Matthew, Beth, Catherine, and Milos. I'll give you the final score and the top point getters of this episode. This episode, In Through the Outdoor, is the first episode in this highly unorthodox Games of Folly unit. To make sure that we start off on the right foot, here's Lauren with the Agent Zero Pew Pew plot synopsis. In Through the Outdoor was Season 2, Episode 13. It originally aired on February 4th, 1996, which was a Sunday. Bill is set to give a speech for the Broadcasting Society. Mr. James was supposed to introduce him, but when he can't make it, he convinces Dave to fill in for him. Bill makes it his personal mission to give Dave public speaking advice in preparation for the evening. As it turns out, Dave didn't need the advice after all, and Bill is left speechless. Matthew is feeling left out when the rest of the staff discusses sports betting. He begs Joe to teach him about gambling. When Matthew ends up owing a massive gambling debt to Joe, Lisa tries to intervene, but to no avail. Thank you, Lauren. Now that the facts are out of the way, let's get weird. This first segment is called The Drivers. So generally, when we watch sitcom episodes, we tend to follow the characters at the center of the storylines. But we rarely consider who is actually driving the storyline forward and why. So this segment is about the two characters with the strongest needs who are actually driving the storylines forward. I think that the most interesting driver to start with is Bill. It's Bill's need to reaffirm his status at the top of the broadcaster society that drives the storyline forward. He calls himself their king, so he needs to be larger than life in this appearance. The fact that billionaire Jimmy James is no longer introducing him adds even more pressure. So it actually sets up what I see as a man versus man conflict with Dave, who Bill sees as being something of an obstacle in the way of meeting his need. All right. And I don't see the storyline being driven by Dave's need to do well with the speech. You know, he's obviously anxious, but his problem is that he can't properly prepare with everyone who trying to help him prepare. Uh, I really see it as Bill bringing the conflict to Dave and driving that storyline. All right, so Bill is one of the drivers of the storyline for this episode. The second storyline is being driven by Matthew. 
Matthew has this need to fit in and belong in this episode and decides to gain acceptance by learning how to gamble. All right, he's clearly not accepted or even acknowledged when the rest of the staff starts talking about gambling and he becomes determined to be able to fit in with them. What's interesting is that Joe continually attempts to dissuade Matthew from betting, actively trying not to bet with him. So for this storyline, I think it's actually a man versus self conflict. Uh, Matthew is his own worst enemy in this gambling endeavor. All right. Uh, so to me, this episode is really about two people that wanted and needed to fit in with their groups. And they both went to ridiculous lengths to try to make that happen. So that's a different way to think about how the episode moves along. And I think it'll be interesting to look at future episodes in the same way. This next segment is called Hoodoo Alley. As we continue discussing this episode, I want to plant a few plot and character possibilities in your mind. All right, so I have a couple theories. Uh, the theories for this episode are, one, Jimmy never had any intention of giving a speech for Bill. Jimmy planned to pawn the job off on Dave before he even walked into the building that day. Two, Bill harassing Dave about delivering the speech is all in Dave's head. Dave is actually imagining his conflict with Bill as a result of the pressure he is putting on himself to give a good speech. Bill is actually out in the office doing his job and focusing on his own speech preparation. Theory. Jimmy was never going to give the speech for Bill, and he planned to pawn it off on Dave all along. All right, first, can you picture Jimmy giving a speech for five to ten minutes, which is kind of a long time, introducing Bill to other broadcasters. He was never going to show up and give a long speech, especially about an underling. Jimmy can't maintain power over the office if he lets Bill think that Bill is on his level. So number one, Jimmy was always going to make sure that he comes out on top with Bill, and he was never going to go up there and inflate Bill's ego. Next, he comes into the office, Dave's office, with the wife search as a distraction. He pretends not to know about the sexualities of the singers as a way of getting Dave off guard, right? Dave's kind of laughing as he has to inform Mr. James about uh, Melissa Etheridge and Katie Lang. So he knows of Melissa Etheridge and Katie Lang enough to put him on his list, but not their sexualities. Come on. Obvious move to get Dave to lower his defenses. Next. He deliberately does not lead with having to give the speech when he talks to Dave. He makes it seem like it's just a dinner appearance for support. Then, after Dave agrees, Jimmy pretends that he already mentioned the speech and puts the pressure on Dave to do well. All right? Nothing like the sound of 1,500 people not laughing. So Jimmy realizes he can't give a long speech about how great Bill is without shifting the power dynamic in the office. He uses the wife candidate opener to manipulate Dave into being open to appear in his place at the banquet. Dave's in a good mood. He's going to agree to do this favor for Mr. James. He then, Mr. James then remembers to make sure that Dave knows he's giving a speech and then pressures him to make it good. So Jimmy wins all the way around. Uh, Bill still has a superior praising him in public, but Jimmy is out of the situation and his power dynamic is still preserved. So. Theory. Theory. Dave is so stressed out about giving the speech that he imagines that Bill is hounding him to do well. It's in his head. Bill is actually working as usual and leaving Dave completely alone. 
All right. Okay. So here's the thing. We see Bill interact with other people in the opener and at the banquet. Well, Dave isn't in the opener when Bill is talking about gambling with almost everyone. And he and Bill are extremely cordial at the podium as they switch places. Next, Bill is always alone when he interacts with Dave. It's mostly in Dave's office, but no one else interacts with Bill when he talks to Dave at the meeting table, you know, about the speech. Did Dave imagine Bill was speaking to him? All right, Bill never interacts with anybody else. I think it's really interesting. Next, Dave feels the pressure of performing in the place of someone of Jimmy's status. It's a pretty big drop-off. Plus the obvious issues it would cause with Bill if he did poorly. Can you imagine if Dave went up there and bombed and what what it would be like in the office for Dave for like the next couple of weeks? Oh, it'd be terrible. A lot of pressure. Tons of pressure, right? Um, so I think that's definitely something you have to consider. Okay, one more thing. Bill is extra animated in these scenes. All right, Obviously, he needed to be screaming to set up the fact that he loses his voice. But he's so over the top, isn't it possible that Dave is imagining how Bill might flip out on him about the speech? All right, what if Dave knew Bill's voice was strained from the start and put even more pressure on himself? All right, that extra pressure causing him to imagine these interactions with Bill, with Bill yelling at him all the time. I, I think there might be something there. <laughs> I think there's a theory. All right, so Bill and Dave always alone when they interact. Uh, Bill is so over the top. What if it's all in Dave's head? I think there's something there. Theory. Serial suspects is the section where I want to address some of the running theories that I think are worth considering. Every episode, I'll comment on the ones that fit. All right, so we're going to start with evil mastermind Jimmy. All right, and that's that Jimmy continually, subtly manipulates people and situations that work in his favor. And if you're not looking for it, you can miss it. So I think this is absolutely an evil mastermind Jimmy episode. Uh, he avoids attending a function and talking up a subordinate by passing it to Dave. And then he further monkeys with the power dynamics of the office by making Dave do it for Bill. All right. So now that their, their dynamics are going to be a little off, which we actually kind of saw uh, by the way that Bill was screaming at Dave in the office. All right. The next one um, is serial killer Joe. Uh, fairly common speculation that Joe may or may not be a psychopathic serial killer. All right. You already know. Uh, in this episode, he's really empathetic, kind of the opposite of a psychopath. And it's got to be one of those things where you're like, well, he's faking it <laughs> because that's what psychopaths do. Or it's actually something that counters the idea that he's a psychopath. All right. No real update on the serial killer part. Uh, but the psychopath part is a little bit in question. All right. And so my last one here is my crush on Dave Beth uh, theory. All right, and this is one of my personal favorites. I tend to think that Beth has a secret crush or interest in Dave. All right, in a lot of ways, she's more his confidant. She's like closer to him than Lisa is. And I think that, you know, there are times it's like she kind of has a little bit of a thing for Dave. All right, so something, every once in a while I watch an episode, I see something, I'm like, hmm, okay. So in this episode, I think we absolutely have some crush on Dave Beth. You know, she sets up a, a news conference in his office to try to help him prepare, right? She's giving him tips. You got to accept the applause, you know, uh, makes a big show of getting other people to go in there. You know, it's kind of a lot of work and she, I don't think she does it sarcastically. You know, she calls him Senator Cuomo, but it's not sarcastic. So I kind of feel like she's trying to pump up his ego. Like she's really trying to support him. Uh, she cheers wildly when he begins. All right. And afterwards, even though it's a little harsh, she gives a really honest reaction to his speech. 
I think she could have been much harsher, you know, if she wasn't trying to kind of stay on his good side. All right, but I kind of feel like she does a lot for him. All right, and then we have the whole thing of she gives him a condom for breadsticks. I mean, come on, come on. Next up is three threes, where I comment on three scenes, three gags or bits, and then three wild card topics. Just things to point out here. I try to do them in a chronological order. I might have missed a little bit, but, you know, again, things will get better. All right, so the first scene I want to talk about is the Wichita lineman scene and just kind of that edit joke at the end. Um, I think it's hilarious that Matthew pushes Joe to the bat. You know, Joe's like, no more, no more. And he's like, come on. Like, I'll bet this next song's a good one. And he, you know, gets Joe to go along with him and get in there. And then he tries to pretend it's a good song by actually like swaying and dancing a little bit and starting to sing along. Uh, absolutely hilarious. You know, also funny is that Joe isn't having it. Like, he's just looking at him like, come on, buddy. You know, until Matthew finally relents and admits, like, it sucks. Uh, and then we obviously get it to start the next scene. It's a quick edit into Dave looking out of his office door, you know, saying, I love that song. So um, I, I think that's definitely it's like a great scene just to, to point out and, uh, and hopefully enjoy there. Okay. The second scene is, is I'm going to call it the paper ball scene because it's very, very long. There's a lot of stuff going on. But I love the fact that it started by Dave being chased out of his office by Bill. Um, like he tries to throw Bill out and he ends up leaving and he goes to the meeting table so that Bill can't corner him. You know, I, I think that's actually really funny. Just uh, an office dynamic type thing. Love the fact that Matthew is practicing and then, you know, finds out from Lisa the, the actual mountain he owes and he bets Joe and you know, the whole thing, obviously. Uh, I love the barrage of paper balls that come in when Bill is talking to Dave. <laughs> He's just sitting at the table and then you just see like this, almost like they took buckets and just kind of threw it over there because this is coming in volume there. And then I really like the way it ends too with Lisa getting yelled at for throwing like one or two paper balls. And then Joe and Matthew are trying to look innocent in the background. Just, just a great scene. Just, you know, one I wanted to, uh, I wanted to highlight. Uh, the third scene that I picked is actually the Joe and Lisa scene outside of uh, outside of Dave's office when he's doing the press conference. I, I actually just love seeing them together. I think they have great chemistry. I, I kind of wish there had been a little bit more Joe-Lisa storylines. I really seem to like it every time they, they are in a storyline together. You know, so this one is just kind of another example of I, I just really enjoy their type of back and forth. Um, we get the Brando imitation, which is which is really good and really funny. And then I love the snappy comeback about Don Knotts. Yeah, just just a really great scene. I have a little bit more on that later, but that's another scene I just wanted to point out how good I thought it was. Okay, three gags or bits that I want to highlight. Number one, the breadsticks condom joke. It is a disturbing joke that stays with me every time. I don't know why I think of lubricated condoms, and that is so gross to think about that joke. So it's weird to put it on my list as a highlight, but like I always think about it, and when I when I see the joke, when I rewatch the episode, I react strongly every time, um, and and it just kind of stays with me for a little bit. Also, I'd like to point out a handful of breadsticks. What size condom is that? Or how small are New York breadsticks? Hmm. Uh, I also like that Dave doesn't react because he's so worried about the speech, about giving the speech for Bill, that he doesn't really react to that, which <laughs> may be for the better because I reacted for him uh, sitting at home watching. All right, next, number two. I love the Matthew not picking Muhammad Ali scene when they're in the break room. All right, because I think the real joke is that Matthew doesn't know about Muhammad Ali. That's one of his most famous fights. Muhammad Ali is a social figure. Like, he's bigger than just an athlete. 
He's actually a name that in society everybody kind of knows. So even if you knew nothing about boxing, the odds that you would not pick Muhammad Ali, especially in one of his most famous fights, is actually really, really funny. And, and to me, the way that Matthew convinces us that he doesn't know that Muhammad Ali won that fight in real life or would know it in real life or whatever resembles real life in that universe, um, I think that's actually really, really good. It's a really good gag. It's a really good bit. So, And I, I, obviously, it's a funny scene. Okay. Uh, my third gag or bit is when Bill loses his voice at the banquet, <laughs> someone shouts, speak up at him. Just kind of the same advice he starts off with, with, with Dave when he starts to quote unquote help Dave. Uh, I, I just think it's a great touch. It's like an added slap in the face for Bill to have his own advice thrown back at him. It's added enjoyment for Dave who, who literally gets to sip a little bit of tea and watch Bill start to uh, flounder up there at the, at the podium. And it also brings the joke back for us. So uh, I definitely wanted to highlight that. I think that's a really funny joke, the way that they fit that in. All right, my three wild cards. Uh, one, I have two Bill quotes that definitely deserve being highlighted. I think the one everybody knows is coming is, I mean, nobody cares how beautiful the souffle is if the appetizer is turds in a blanket. Absolutely hilarious, usable, incredible, edible, edible. Okay. Uh, the other quote I really like is when he says, maybe in the future, children will learn to drive rocket cars before they can walk. But for right now, let's concentrate on the fundamentals. I, I think that is also super, super funny. I think it's also super usable. You can definitely take that first part and, um, and, and put it before something, uh, a task or something like that. Uh, just, again, worth highlighting for sure. Number two is going to be a little bit of a background catch here. In the opener, when Matthew falls, Lisa's in the booth, and she actually stands up and looks concerned. She kind of takes a couple steps over and is looking at Matthew. Uh, Catherine is also in the booth and doesn't flinch. All right, and obviously the guys, they kind of take a look, and then they go back to what they're doing. But, um, you know, Lisa is in the booth, and, and the fall kind of gets her up out of her seat to look over. And that's, I don't know, something that I found interesting. Uh, the last one for the wild card and for the segment is really just kind of the bit of Bill yelling at Dave. And uh, I especially like the bird call. <laughs> Let's let this out of the North American quitter. And I love the part where he's screaming at him in the tuxedo. He's like, no, you settle down. You settle down. You know, those two points in particular, but everything he does with the umbrella, slapping it down and, and, and the, talking about um, just the way that Dave has to say things and get the audience's attention. Uh, I think him like being getting more animated and more upset, I think is really, really funny just in general. And I do think of the no, you settle down, you settle down, just like screaming at somebody who's actually calm. I, I think that's funny. It's like, it's something I think that you could do in real life, but something I would definitely not advise doing in real life. So, uh, but I will highlight it for this segment. Okay, I also want to mention some of the running gags or bits that we see in the episode. Just kind of acknowledge that they're going on. I noticed that Joe drinks a soda. I just kind of noticed recently that Joe and soda seems to be a thing. Uh, Matthew is asking him to gamble. Joe goes in the break room, grabs a soda, and pops it open, you know, as they walk through the bullpen to sit down at the at the meeting table. Um, this is obviously a Matthew Pratt fall in, in the opener episode. Uh, Matthew leans on the table and has kind of a spectacular fall. Uh, pretty impressive for somebody who just leaned on a table. A wife candidate list episode. All right, where Jimmy comes in and he addresses how the flu season was rough on some of the older ones. Brings back that gag about him having a wife candidate list. 
And then we also have Lisa as a math whiz. When uh, when Joe is like, he can pay me a dollar a day for the rest of his life. And Lisa breaks down the math very, very quickly for Joe, <laughs> who is not impressed. Here's Lauren again, and she's got the Freakzilla report. Here is the Freakzilla report. Someone named James was annoyed with Lisa's calculation of how long it would take Matthew to pay off his gambling debt to Joe. He said she should have used 365.25 days per year instead of an even 365 to do the calculation, in which case the amount of time it would take Matthew to pay off his debt would have been 28.036 years and not 28.055 years. This sounds extremely nitpicky. But it was part of a larger point. This was in a thread where people were talking about how Lisa seemed like an unnecessary character. People had brought up that her math skills were the only thing that made her quirky and interesting. And James's point was that she's not even as good at math as she thinks she is. There was not a lot of other discussion about this episode at the time that it aired. That is presumably because shortly after being shifted from Tuesday to Sunday, the show had not aired two weeks in a row, once due to the Golden Globes and once due to the Super Bowl, and then this episode aired. So it's possible that not a lot of fans um, knew that it was even airing. I did, however, find some posts about this episode from later dates. In June of 2003, someone named Eric, who had only ever seen the show in syndication, asked if anyone could explain Beth's line to Dave about how he's going to a lesbian banquet. Eric asked if anyone could explain the joke to him because he never understood it. As it turns out, in syndication, they cut all the wife candidate dialogue that immediately preceded that line. So, we never got the comments about Melissa Etheridge or Katie Lang. Viewers only saw the part where Jimmy convinces Dave to give the speech at the banquet, thus making Beth's line very confusing. In July of 1999, this episode came up in a thread where fans were trying to list out all of the times a song had featured or been referenced on news radio. Wichita Linemen came up as being both in this episode and again in Towers. Fans thought it was the perfect song to make the joke work in this episode and that it was a nice little gift to the diehard fans when it made a reappearance again in season five. And that has been this episode's Freakzilla Report. All right. Thank you, Lauren. This next segment is called Hero and Villain, Winner and Loser. It's pretty self-explanatory. So this episode's villain, and I look at villain as kind of the guy who knows the most and cares the least. That's a, a definition I picked up from Chuck Klosterman, uh, who might have picked it up somewhere else, but I think it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good definition for uh, a lot of situations in terms of determining who the villain is. And this episode's big villain is Mr. James, all right? It starts off with him blatantly ignoring Matthew, which actually signals to everybody else that it's okay to ignore him too. All right, Matthew obviously just wants to be a part of it, comes in, he's talking, <laughs> Mr. James literally just looks the other way, and then, you know, Joe and, and Bill can just be like, oh, well, you know, if he's not doing it, we don't have to either. Then, obviously, the way he asked Dave to commit to replacing with the banquet, you know, and to spring on him, that he has to deliver a pretty long speech. Again, five to ten minutes is a long time, uh, especially if you're anxious about public speaking. So I think it's safe to say that Mr. James knew the most and definitely cared the least about how other people would be affected. So this episode's hero, which I think is kind of like the most virtuous or most hero-like. It's a little bit of a difficult definition. But I have Dave as the hero in this episode. 
In this episode, Dave somewhat goes on a hero's journey. He gets tricked into accepting his mission, deals with various characters who are trying to help him or maybe not help him so much, and he ultimately overcomes. All right, He not only delivers a fantastic speech, but he gets to watch his main tormentor fall on his face. So Dave overcomes his fear and after much struggle, wins in the end. So I, I'd pick Dave as the hero. The big loser of this episode is Matthew. Matthew's goal was to learn how to gamble so he could participate in the gambling talk. And now, in addition to being 20K in debt to Joe, he still can't be one of the gang and join in and talk the way he wanted to. I also think that his pencil bet admission to Mr. James sealed the deal that he was not going to be getting any attention with the gamblers. Even though Mr. James was being very nice to him, I think admitting that he couldn't pick a pencil uh, a hand with a pencil in it versus a hand with a pencil not in it. Uh, I think that pretty much eliminates them from from any real consideration of, of being a quote unquote real gambler. All right. So unfortunately for Matthew, he is the episode's big loser. The big winner of the episode is Joe. Aside from winning 20K, which we assume he'll never actually collect, but will probably use to manipulate Matthew for a little while. Joe comes out looking great. He tries to help his friend learn how to gamble, tries to stop Matthew when he starts going too far, deliberately tries to lose to clear the debt, and I think that makes him a pretty good friend. All right. He also does a favor for Lisa, which makes me feel like they bonded a little more, and also that she kind of owes him a favor in the future. Right? But it's good social currency for Joe. I think Dave is certainly a, a big candidate because he he does kind of win in the end. But ultimately, I think the guy who wins the most, even if he never collects the money, is Joe. He strengthened his friendships and, and actually looks better for it. We are now in part B. This part has several categories that focus a little more on the actual episode. We're going to start with other notables, which are really just other things I wanted to point out, talk about. First, we got Beth listening in on Joe and Matthew's conversation when Matthew asked Joe to teach him to gamble. I don't really think of it as a bit. It's kind of like a background catch. Obviously, outside of uh, Dave's office when he's talking to Mr. James, you know, she comes in with kind of a, a garbled version of what is uh, what they're talking about. But um, I think anytime you see her kind of like actively listening in, I think that's a, a fun background catch that I like to see. The next notable is the Matthew's losses that we see. All right, we see him lose because of the number guess. Uh, we see him lose rock, paper, scissors. He loses the foreman Ali bet, which I think he says is like the, it's the sixth bet that Matthew loses in a row. He loses the, the radio song with Wichita Lineman. He loses throwing the paper ball into the trash by throwing the paper ball into the trash. And then he finally loses the which hand is the pencil in. And by my math, that means he owes Joe $20,480. <laughs> based on rudimentary doubling the numbers that we got from Lisa. So that's just kind of the, the bets that we see Matthew lose. The next notable is Mr. James's wife candidate list. All right, I think the wife candidate jokes actually age well in a sense. And I think it's because we stereotypically think of wealthy men as uh, getting much younger, uh, perky women, like playboy, playmate types, you know, just uh, women that I think in society would be considered almost like trophy wives type type of situations. Um, and so far, when we talk about the the wife candidate list that Jimmy's shown, it's really kind of like a wide range of accomplished 
intelligent, and mostly age-appropriate women. Uh, I, I never really thought about it before, but I definitely think it's worth kind of noting that he's actually picking like real women. It's not like he's he's going for you know what we would expect any type of uh, rich character to go for. So I think the wife candidate list holds up well. I think the joke holds up well, and uh, I'm definitely going to be watching as I go through more episodes. The next notable that I want to bring up is Catherine's Arsenio Hall Sydney Portier joke. I think it's really funny because Dave, look at Dave's options, right? Milos barely understands or speaks English the way they play him sometimes. Beth did not catch the reference at all to begin with, and that only really leaves Catherine. And then Catherine is able to flip it out of, and she's like, "Oh, you know, I'm supposed to know about Arsenio Hall? Like, great." Uh, she just gets to kind of flip his words on him. And, and that's kind of the joke is that Dave is now super uncomfortable where he was uncomfortable before. He feels even more misunderstood as a result of him trying to be more misunderstood, more understood. Yeah. Next notable. I love the reactions to Dave's practice speech in the office. So when we come back after the speech, Dave is like purposefully terrible, stumbling over his words, not really having a strong ender. Like, I think it's funny because it is so bad. And then Beth stands up and makes one of the darkest references I think I've ever seen or heard on the show. You can't say Dallas doesn't love you, Mr. President, which is a reference to a statement made to JFK right before he was assassinated in Dallas. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious. I think it's super, super dark. Um, but I think she also made her point about how bad that speech is. Um, I think Catherine's pose is kind of funny. She asks if, if Dave is undressing her with his eyes, and then she kind of strikes a pose right next to him, which makes it even more awkward for Dave. I think that's funny. And I really love when Milos salutes Dave as the president, you know, and Dave kind of has no choice but to salute back. All right, I definitely think that's notable. Next notable is Bill's Silence of the Lambs reaction when the, when he's talking to Dave about the speech, giving him the advice, and Dave says, that's something out of Silence of the Lambs. And Bill's like, good flick, good flick, and he just kind of you know walks away. I, I just find that to be really, really funny. But I also like that Bill uses the umbrella kind of like a cane where he's like slamming it on the desk and kind of gesturing with it a little bit. I think I think those things are really funny, definitely notable. All right, so the next notable is that Dave has a different coffee cup than usual. All right, it's not our, our usual yellow with the logo on it. So I know there are people who are spying out the coffee cups every episode. I definitely want to shout that one out. Next notable, Lisa says that Joe versus Matthew is more like Marlon Brando versus Don Knotts, you know, Barney Fife. And I was thinking, like, what's a more modern comparison? And the best I could come up with was, like, James Gandolfini versus Kevin Hart. You know, I think that's probably the closest in a modern day that we can get to Brando and Don Knotts. So, James Gandolfini, you are missed more than ever, if nothing more but than to put Kevin Hart in his place, because I would love to see that movie. All right, next notable. We have Beth walking into Dave's office, making her lesbian banquet joke. All right, again, that she was eavesdropping, didn't get it quite right. And then she's weirdly stretching as Jimmy walks back in. And then she doesn't stop. And Jimmy kind of looks at her for a second and, again, decides not to address it and goes right around her and focuses back on Dave. Uh, but I really love that moment where it's like she realizes that he's there and, uh, and Jimmy looks at her and it's like, is anyone going to say anything? Nope. She keeps on stretching and Jimmy just keeps on going on with his business. Notable. The next notable is just about Matthew getting the pencil bet wrong because I think that somehow we all kind of believe it. 
First, when they walk up to him, he's actually checking Lisa's math. You know, you hear him, you hear him kind of giving the numbers. He's looking real hard. And so it's kind of funny to me, first of all, that he's checking Lisa's math. Then during the scene, Joe Rogan is trying so hard not to break. And I think that may, they might have had to go to a couple different camera angles sometimes just because he starts smiling so hard. I, you feel like you see the corner of his mouth kind of really rise up. But it's so ridiculous as a concept to be able to get that wrong. And at the end of the scene, we're all in on Matthew actually making the wrong choice. Like He convinces us that he convinced himself that the obvious answer was not the right answer. And instead of it destroying our suspension and disbelief, it actually reinforces it. And I think it's really, really great. And I think it just had to be notable. And my last notable is that I loved watching Joe and Matthew play rock, paper, scissors as Jimmy, Dave, and Beth walk out of Dave's office. I love how they have that in the foreground and you kind of get both things going on at once. So we actually know what's happening with Joe and Matthew while the scene is really about Dave and, and Beth and Jimmy. So I, I thought those things were notable. My next category is actually about references made. Uh, so a couple times they made some references and uh, in lieu of a, a proper real fact section, I did some very quick research, if you can call it research, and came up with a couple things. Number one, Joe quotes imitates On the Waterfront, uh, which is considered one of the greatest films ever made. It was nominated for 12 Academy Awards and won eight, with Brando giving what has been considered by some to be one of the best film performances ever. All right, truth be told, I have never seen it, but now I am definitely interested and hope to watch it fairly soon. That's what Joe imitated. Number two, Matthew misquotes, you got to know when to hold them, you got to know when to fold them, from the song The Gambler, which was most famously covered by Kenny Rogers and won him a Grammy Award in 1980. Number three. Wichita Lineman by Glenn Campbell was released in October of 1968 and has been referred to as the first existential country song, which is something I find really interesting as far as, you know, how did they choose that song? Why that song? And the song they chose is the first existential country song. Like, really interesting. Really kind of a nice touch. Number four, ESPN, that channel that's all about sports, was established in 1979 in Bristol, Connecticut. And number five. Bill's comment about Anderson missing four free throws in the last two minutes is actually kind of alluding to a real-life instance of that happening. It was in Atlanta and Jersey. Nick Anderson and the Orlando Magic led the then-defending NBA champion Houston Rockets 110-107 to with 8.5 seconds left in Game 1 of the NBA Finals on June 7, 1995. Anderson a 70% foul shooter during the 94-95 regular season, missed four free throws with those 8.5 seconds left in game one. And the Magic lost the game and the series. Next category. Biggest stretch or unbelievable moment. Uh, usually in every episode, there's like one moment that kind of kind of stretches your disbelief. It, it kind of takes you out of the episode a little bit. Um, and in this episode, you would think that it would be either, you know, Matthew with the pencil or maybe Matthew, you know, hitting the, hitting the shot when Joe bet that he would hit the shot. Uh, but for me, it's actually the way that Bill is yelling at Dave. Um, and again, I get that it has to happen because Bill has to lose his voice at the end, but like yelling at your boss that way and not having any real consequences is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, for a lot of rewatches, I hadn't worked in an office yet. 
Uh, but for this rewatch, it took me out of the episode just for a moment. You know, like obviously watching Phil Hartman in the scene is incredible. You know, he, he puts on a great performance, but it just strained my belief where I was just like, man, how much, how much will a boss take here before he, he pushes back as a consequence? It makes it so much sweeter when Dave nails the speech and gets to watch Bill suffer. But I think for me in this episode, that's that's like the biggest stretch. That's the moment that, you know, is just unbelievable, at least for a split second. Next category, negative points. May not stick with this title, but if there's a couple things I don't like in the episode and I don't want to dwell on them, but I do think it's fair to mention them really quickly. So uh, I've only got two in this episode that I wanted to mention. The first is that I did not care for Beth's outfit. It. It was so clear. I think it's kind of a love it or hate it outfit. It's not like it was bad. It's not like it was messy. I just, it, there's something about it that I thought was just kind of weird. Just didn't work for me. The next one is Lisa's word to your mother joke. Uh, obviously making fun of other cultures is not real cool. We, we kind of get it. But to me, that was like, all right, well, you know, now we're just making fun of black culture. Uh, although I, I will say as a positive for Lisa, I did like her hairstyle and I thought her appearance in the episode was really good, you know, but that joke was just thumbs down. Next category, keepsakes slash news radio nook. I will be selecting items from the episode to add to our cave. Uh, I'm going to call it a nook because it might just be my section. I, I do not know how other people will feel about my selections. But for this episode, I'm going with the newspaper that had the Super Bouts TV schedule in it, the one that Matthew points out and, and wants to talk about boxing. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Probably like, you know, put a big red circle around that that time block or that section of the paper and then you know you can put it up on the wall maybe behind glass i will always look at that fight and think of matthew picking george foreman now we're going to go to a segment we call a time capsule from the internet with lauren here is a time capsule from the internet there was a tv guide article that came out the week this episode aired it was speculating about upcoming valentine's day episodes of various tv shows the editors chose different characters they would like to see get together for news radio, they chose Matthew and Beth. Their argument was they would like to see them get together because they would make a great wacky couple. Fans in the Usenet forums hated this pairing and decided to suggest their own instead, which included Dave and Beth as a couple, Matthew and Nancy, Dave's ex, as a couple, and Matthew and Joe as a couple. Dave Foley was in an article in Rolling Stone this week. According to a Usenet member named Liz, it was the issue with Jennifer Aniston and her ass on the cover. Liz states that he wasn't terribly nice about Kids in the Hall in the interview, but that he said Kids in the Hall fans seemed to like news radio, or so he'd heard from the internet. Andy Dick appeared on Comedy Central this week. According to someone named Matthew on the Usenet forums, he was doing a comedy routine with some other guy about the two sides of Marilyn Monroe. Andy was dressed as Norma Jean, and the other guy was dressed as Marilyn. After a little digging, I found out that the other guy was some guy named Bob Odenkirk. You can find the video on YouTube if you're interested. It was pretty funny. And this has been a time capsule from the Internaut. Thank you again, Lauren. I have a few questions about this episode or just a few things to wonder about. So these are my enigmas for the episode. First of all, in the scene where Joe and Matthew are talking about the, the super bout, about the Ali Foreman fight, there are toasted English muffins on the table. And, we, you know, we see the package behind Matthew. It's on the counter. But whose English muffins are those? Number one, they're toasted. They look like they're ready to go. 
They're kind of in front of Matthew, but Matthew spins his chair around and is not looking at him. Joe doesn't really seem to address him. And I'm like, who would walk away from toasted English muffins and just leave them in the office? I mean, I suppose somebody could forget, but they're kind of on the table, like almost freshly toasted, and the two of them are at the table. So what's up with those English muffins? You know, the nooks, the crannies, what's going on? Next enigma. What's the average age of the women on the wife candidate list? Obviously, the flu comment raises a lot of questions on its own. But even the ones that have been mentioned, I wonder what the average age is. And then I wonder what his overall list average age would be. Question. Next enigma. Who threw the paper ball at Dave? Was it Catherine, Beth, or Milos? Uh, I, I think this is actually really, really funny, right? Like, we don't expect Catherine to kind of act in a way where she would throw the ball, but she's the one to defend it. You got to be ready for anything, Dave, or something along those lines. Uh, we kind of expect that Beth would, but Beth kind of made the last disruption, and it's pretty bold. And then there's Milos, who, because he clearly does not really understand what's going on, possibly they handed him the ball and he threw it, or he didn't understand that you shouldn't throw it, or he thought it was a game. So I think that like all three characters are legit suspects, and I think us as an audience, we get to have the fun of trying to break down who we think actually threw that paper ball. <laughs> Can't let it throw you, Dave. Okay, next question. Did Bill actually teach a course? Or did he just say that to get Dave to buy in so he could help Dave? It's a really funny joke that he repeats the, you know, the Bill McNeil course, da-da-da-da-da. But again, like it's one of those odd things that I can see him saying just to get Dave to believe him. Not that he's actually done it. So that's that's an enigma. All right. Last enigma, and this one is answerable. How many paper balls get thrown in that scene? At one point, I was going to actually count and have that as part of the show. But ultimately, I had a lot of other stuff to do, and I did not. So that's a real question out there that can be answered if anyone wants to take the time. How many paper balls were thrown in that scene? And do you count the next scene where the paper ball gets thrown at Dave while he's giving a speech? We are officially in part C of the podcast. First up, hoodoo highlights and cast kudos. Using a super complicated and super secret algorithmic formula, and totally not me just assigning points when I saw stuff I liked, because that would be silly. This episode has been scored for points, and there is a definitive winning team. I'm going to give the high scores for guest appearances, women and men. Uh, I want to make sure I'm recognizing the women in each episode because obviously most of the plays and playing time is centered around the men for like, you know, the entire series. So I wanted to make sure that I do mention the women, even though I wish I did not have to give them their own category or uh, kind of separate them out. Because, you know, again, great actresses or actors, as, as the term may be, and uh you know, definitely worthy of recognition, even though I don't think they will score a lot of points on a consistent basis. All right. First up is the guest appearance. Uh, Milos puts up five points for the blue team. Uh, several for laughing at the duty joke, saluting Dave and, and telling him to be honored to have him as president. All right. Uh, great, great appearance by Milos. Gets a couple points up. Nice job. All right. For the women, Lisa of the gold team led the way with 11 points, getting in some great exchanges with Joe and Matthew. Well, Beth and Catherine, both on the blue team, tied with 10 points each. All right, so kind of all in the same sphere there. Uh, everybody had a good performance, but Lisa came out on top. Now, for the men, 
Despite the goal team having Bill and Joe score the second and third most points in the episode with 32 and 30 points respectively, it was the blue team's Matthew who put up the high score with 36 points. When given the chance to shine, Matthew stepped up big and we're excited to see how he performs for the rest of the unit. Final score and takeaways. All that adds up to the blue team winning 88 to the gold team's 87. Blue squeaks out a victory with a push from Milos putting them over the top. Great first game to start off the unit, and we're looking forward to the next episode. Okay, my takeaway. I did not expect Joe to score so high, but this is actually a great episode for him because it's really Matthew's episode for sure, but Joe gets a lot of points. I didn't think about how much Joe and Matthew really interacted until I you know, started kind of counting. So um, you know, right away, I was surprised that Joe scored so well, but you know, I think he also did a great job. Also, I realized that Dave gets a lot of assists and setups, which is difficult to work into the uh, uh, algorithm. But I'm wondering if his contributions will affect the episodes without showing up in the box score. All right, so if you watch, a lot of times Dave might be the straight man. He doesn't really get the punchline or the joke, but he kind of sets it up. It's, it's kind of tough to watch and give points to, but it's definitely worth watching going forward because I'm starting to wonder if Dave is actually really, really funny or if his role in most episodes is really to help everybody else be funny. So, something to watch for. Okay, so that's it. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. Please send feedback to our Instagram or Twitter accounts. Please let me know what you think of today's episode. The next episode in the Games of Folly unit is going to be Goofy Ball, and I think it's a fun episode to examine in the style of today's podcast. I also want to thank Frank from the Start the Show podcast, Pepsi Chris, Trisha, not Trish, and of course, Lauren for their encouragement, support, and mostly for listening to me yammer on and on about ideas for this podcast for the past few months. Thank you guys so much. Until next time, I'll catch you guys on the flip-flop. Thank you for visiting the Hoodoo Factory, the source for all your hoodoo needs. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at hoodoo underscore factory. The Hoodoo Factory is part of the Stolen Dress Podcast Network. Please stop by our gift shop at grabitgear.com. And remember, the Hoodoo Factory is the supplier of the only known antidote for absa fever.